everybody to Over the Rentals, the podcast where we talk about films that people are just not talking about anymore. Not enough. Never need to do some more. I'm Matthew Shuckman. And I'm Cinema Lens Mike Reyes. And Matt, fair is foul. And foul is fair, I believe, uh, this evening as we uh, approach a very, very special episode of Overdue Rentals. But rather, they're, they're all special in their own way. But this one... Ooh, uh, I think yes. I should fill everyone in on what the, what the game plan is for today. Writer-director Justin Kurzel here with us to talk about his latest film, Night Term, which is, uh, it, it is a very interesting sort of sobering examination of past events that will not be named because the film takes good, great care in not naming persons, not naming events, but drawing uh, inspiration from... A, a real life uh, occurrence. This is a heavy uh, one. This is a heavy one. We'll say that. It's, so it's it's very similar to uh, Ted K that we had covered a couple of weeks ago. Except you know, obviously, no names involved here, but still a similar in in tones. And then to counterbalance that, we'd like to have the bright, sunny, the the it, it's it's basically springtime in this in this wonderful film. His twenty Justin Kurzel's twenty fifteen adaptation of Macbeth. And since we're not in a theater, we can say it. Yes. And, and since we're not uh, performing it or anything along those lines, which of course starred Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard, as well as a whole slew of people, which I'm sure we'll get into. Uh, oh, this so is a we, murderer's row, man. Yeah, so why don't we get Justin in here to start talking about these things because it's going to be quite a discussion. Yeah, no, we're, we're champing at the bit here, folks. Uh, if you want to go back, if, if you want to watch either of these movies before you listen to us, please do so. Uh, Macbeth is currently available at, at the time of uh, release, at the release of this episode, uh, on Tubi for free, as well as other streaming services. And don't forget to visit our back catalog if you want to listen to something in the meantime while you prepare. And the trim is going to be available for everybody on March 30th. We've got to open up the door. We've got to unlock, turn the lights on, and welcome Justin Kurzel to the overdue rentals counter. Let's see him return his copy of Macbeth, even though it's his copy of Macbeth. Why are we taking his copy of Macbeth? I don't know, but let's find out. Hey, Justin, how you doing? Hey, Matthew, how you going? Doing great. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. And um, I just want to jump right into this just because I'm, I'm sure that we're going to have to have you have to have so many discussions all day about this. And, uh, you know, I went into this not knowing a thing about it. I was not unaware of the story, let alone what I learned after. Is there a certain desire for people to maybe go into this not knowing what to expect or what was the genesis of, of this story? Well, in probably in other countries, uh, and when we played it in Cannes um, in competition there, it, um, it was exactly that. No one had any idea what the story was and how it was unfolding. And to be honest, probably felt as though it was sort of a family drama playing out yeah. for, for the most of the film. In Australia, that's impossible. It, everyone uh, absolutely knows what this film is about, who this person is and what is gonna happen at the end. So, that's been fascinating, you know, in, 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 in terms of, you know, an audience that we probably made the film for, which is in Australia, that every single kind of moment, every single decision, every single look that the main character makes has this context to it 
of what what's going to reveal itself at the end yeah. that they know it whereas yeah for americans um french british it's it it, it is something that unfolds before your eyes in the film well it's strange too though because even if you know i could have been highly aware of the events or not because i stayed so blind to it yeah but just like you said feels like family drama and you can tell you know even if you didn't know you can tell where it's going mm. but it helps kind of then not not necessarily you're trying to even talk about the feelings for the family and everybody else uh, and kind of what maybe led up to certain issues within within his life but it, it, it makes me think of things differently if, if instead of going in knowing 100 what was in store for me yeah no absolutely it's um i i think people uh feel very uneasy in australia watching those beginning scenes and you know and, and, a, and a huge part of it is to sort of go well you know this is a normal street this is in suburbia australia this is a this is a typical kind of family here and um this is not some sort of disenfranchised kind of world it it, it really this played out you know in in you know in a pretty ordinary suburban you know community in australia so uh you know that 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 it, it takes a while for an audience in australia to sort of sort of sit back and kind of go okay where, where are you going with this mm. um you know but it's probably as you said it's it's uh you you sit in the family drama aspect of it a little quicker um if, if you're watching it without the knowledge of what's going to happen now as this is a film about a real event uh even though it does sort of, it exists disconnected from the actual events because names are changed and certain details are sort of left out. Uh, where, where was sort of the line between the story you wanted to tell, but also staying true to the events that happened? It was tricky. It, it's, it's, it is extremely close to, to, to what happened. Probably the time frame has been compressed a lot. Um, and there are certain individuals that were sort of around the family that um, in terms of the story that we were telling, we decided that they, that they weren't needed, so we kept them out. Um, but, but, but essentially, it's extremely close. I mean, our, you know, Sean Grant, the writer, wrote it wanting you to sort of be in the footsteps of this particular individual and get to know them and feel familiar around them and recognise them and then you know, start to sort of be horrified by how they become more and more isolated, more lonely, start to make some pretty dangerous and horrific decisions. So that by the time you get into that gun store, you know, and he's buying weapons you wouldn't see on the military field, you know, like he's buying golf clubs without licenses or registration, that that, that became the real shock. Um, that you could see how easy um, it sort of unfolded. Um, and, and, and that was his feeling from the beginning, this really immersive experience, very intimate experience next to this individual. What was really interesting is, except most of the cast is Australian, but you have Caleb Landry Jones playing the lead and he's an American actor. Uh, what was it about him that just sort of made him fit this role? Yeah, look, it, it really surprised us that we were thinking about Caleb. I mean, it, it, it's not the first, you, you know, when you're looking at someone who who is to play a very uh, distinct person here in Australia, I think pe people are really aware and, and had a very particular look. Um, 
you know, the idea of casting an American, I think, uh, surprised many, including us. But um, it, it was very strange. We, we thought about him straight away. There was something about his physicality. There was something mm. about the body of work that he'd made. And he looked like a really serious actor. And we went and met him in Los Angeles. He'd read the script and had incredible um, uh, insight into it. Um, and then we just decided, yeah, we needed to, uh, you know, cast him straight away. Well, it's funny, too, because as Mike said, you know, most of the rest of the cast is Australian. Uh-huh. But for a lot of us, you know, there are so many actors in the world that I'm sure people will look at and they'll go, oh, they're probably American or the British, you know, because Judy and Anthony are people that even though I know they they're born, live in Australia, I, I it's hard a lot of times for me to see them, you know, not as American in some ways, because I'm just so used to seeing them that way. Uh, so it is really great to see them both just so amazing. Um, in this and be able to actually be Australian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Judy and Anthony are, uh, you know, are, are real treasures here as, as, as actors. And, um, but I think what, what they, they found really compelling was, was, was being able to, I guess, create a, a sense of a really authentic kind of suburban family on screen, you know, and, 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 you know, a lot of the people around them were were non-actors. You know, they were they were you know real real people that we cast in the film, and I and I think that that was something that I'm really excited by is, mm. is to sort of um, you know being able to kind of be in a certain world and 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 be in a, be able to sort of portray or, or act in a certain way that that felt very grounded and you know and and that felt very sort of true to the world that we were creating. What I really find interesting with with films like this that again, they're depicting real events and they're doing so in a way that's respectful and doesn't sugarcoat or downplay anything. But at the same time with with Nitrum, you do have, you do start with this sort of sense of empathy. But then as you had mentioned, you're, you're watching throughout the film, this sort of devolution of this person who in the end becomes a killer. Yeah, I mean the, the 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 empathy questions was was always really tricky, and every day we were sort of questioning that. I mean, at the same time, you you need to create a world that you kind of go, well, well I recognise this, and it feels familiar, and um, this could be my next door neighbour, uh, you know. And 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 then at the same time, you know, as the character starts to kind of um, uh, disconnect and starts to become more isolated, you know, you 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 start to feel a sort of sense of danger with that character. So it was, it was always really hard, like when that sense of empathy or, or, or at least the familiarity of the character starts to feel quite distant and foreign, you know, was, was, was something that we're continually struggling with and challenging ourselves with. And, um, you know, it's, it, it was the hardest aspect of making the film. And it's always tempered too, because there's always these these little moments and these little outbursts of his where it's it's sort of just course correct, where it's like, mm, are are you supposed to feel this way for this guy? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it was interesting, you know, we had we had a scene after after the cafe scene at the end after the shootings, and mm. um, and it was him in 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 this cottage and. It, 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 and the police were surrounding him and, and, and the film ended with this sort of conversation that he was having with this policeman. Um, and I didn't know how to shoot the film. Oh, like I, didn't, I didn't know how to shoot the scene and Caleb didn't really know how to play the character. And it was really, 
it was fascinating that after the character does what they do and gets up with those guns in the cafe, we, we kind of couldn't have a relationship with them. That, that something had passed um, that was very, very difficult to start, you know, to, to, to film this person again, um, or sorry, this character again. So it was, I found that, you know, I found that really, really interesting. It was almost like the film was sort of telling us what, where our relationship with, with, with him would end. Um, and, and, and that was, you know, at the cafe. Well, I mean, going back to the empathy thing too, you know, it's not just for, for Nitram, you know, there's, a certain point where you have to worry about, you know, we think about day in, day in and day out as lots of tragedies happen. And we think about the warning signs we missed and we're watching, you know, a father who just wants to try and calm his son down. So he gives him what he wants and a mother who you know, doesn't really know how to deal with it. She thinks she knows how to deal with it and just thinks that somehow it'll gloss over. And you, we can't necessarily blame them the way a lot of people would want to go and do that. Yeah, I mean, that whole, the, the, the whole challenges of being a parent really came into the fall when we're making this. I mean, I've got two girls who are 15 and, you know, it was really interesting. All the crew and, 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 and the actors especially were, were, were just talking about parenting and how difficult it is and how, how just challenging it would have been for both of them and especially the mother, you know, in, in, in the 90s in Tasmania with very, very little hope, very little understanding about mental illness and, um questioning whether you know whether it's you whether it's your dna whether it's the way in which you've nurtured this this child or whether it's just you know bad luck that 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 you know that this this is the child that you're you're, you're bringing up um so it was i you know a lot of that came from judy you know and, and judy determined not to make this mother cold and not and and for you not to be sort of blaming her that it sort of came back to her but 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 just that it's you know parenting can become overwhelming and especially you know with it with a with a son like this that she's had to bring up who's still living at home at 26 and still hanging out and letting off fireworks at the schools and you know that that you know how how long can you kind of take this yeah how long how can how long can you kind of keep on top of it um and then how that affects the relationship with the father and you know, he, the way he sort of deals with it's very different. He, he's sort of an enabler, sort of, you know, gives him, yeah. gives, gives him a sort of lolly when he's uh, having his tantrum. So it, 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 you know, that, that aspect of it was, was really interesting. It, it became real, really to the fore when we, when we started filming. And also thinking about those, you know, the idea of warning signs, because again, going into it, not knowing this was the story I was about to be told, seeing that news footage at the beginning in a lot of ways is prepping me for that warning sign for, you know, he says, oh, I'm just going to go do it again. But I'll have to wonder since for people who may not know that is actual footage from when he was a child. And I'm wondering if had you had to fight with whether you wanted to use that or not. It was really tricky, you know, because it is real footage of the, of, of, um, of the person and Sean had written it. It's very famous footage here of, 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 of the person. There was something about, there was just something about the footage and then cutting to him sort of 20 years later that you completely understood the, the fatigue and struggles of those parents. You know, the fact that it had been 20, 
you know, 20 years of this um, sort of leading up to it, that the, that the, the, the same pattern of behaviour hadn't, hadn't sort of changed. But it was a really tough decision to, to put it in. Um, uh, but, but we felt as though it, it was important. And it, and, it, and it definitely sort of questioned the whole nurture versus nature aspect of, of, of the film and, and, and sort of just landed it in a particular way at the beginning that we sort of helped, felt as though it helped tell the story we were telling. I mean, it, re it really is interesting because again, to the point of Judy Davis's character, stereotypically you would think she would be the one that spoils the son because it's, it, it's always stereotypically the doting mom and the, and the strict father. But then even with that reversal, she isn't totally cold. Like you see, she does have structure. She does have, you know, her wants and wishes for her son. But at the same time, it's not unreasonable. It's not like she's striving to turn him into something he isn't. She just wants him to be well to a certain extent. No, I think she, she, she wants him to find someone. She wants him to leave home. She wants him to have a job. She wants him to stop playing with all the things that he has played with since he was a kid. She wants him to be, you know, have an ordinary life. And, um, you know, um, but, but their life is surrounded by him. It, it, it's, it, everything is to do with, with, with him. And, you know, what, what, what's the next thing that he's sort of in trouble for and that they've got to sort of bail him out. Um, and then at, and at the same time, he starts this relationship with this other woman who's a sort of, you know, is a hermit and, 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 a, and an outlier as well. And she kind of almost becomes jealous of it because her life has been looking after this, you know, this, this boy man. So it's really complex, you know. I mean, even that, even that discussion that she has with, um, with Helen at the cafe, which is, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a story about, you know, my, my son and this game we used to play and then sort of what happens uh, through that game, you know, it, it was really fascinating because we didn't know whether that was her warning Helen, you know, um, Mm. or whether it was her asking for help you know um so yeah she, she's she's she has a very very complex relationship with with that boy and and if if your whole role has been to bring up this child and to sort of you know be there in such an intimate way to kind of clean up his mess and you know um worry about him and look after him what you know and then suddenly he's he leaves home like that um it it, it must be a, a it must be pretty shocking. Well, it's, it's also, I mean, of course, in in what Sean wrote and what you produced, you know, there's only so much you can speculate with if Helen was around. Could, I mean, obviously the situations that happened probably would have been different, but even then would it have come to the point where, you know, 10 years down the road, five years down the road, whatever it may be, he just gets sick of being around her as well and nothing's going to help him ultimately. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I and I and I think you feel that in the in the, in the film is that he 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 becomes more and more isolated, and that's that's deliberate. And, and and actually, those two people in his life that he he really sort of lent on Helen and his father, um, you know, are, are dead and are no longer sort of in in his life. And um, 
he doesn't exactly sort of welcome his mother's back, mother back into into his world. So, you know, at at, at his probably at his most isolated, <clears throat> this gun culture comes and you know accepts him and 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 is listening to him and is excited by his presence. So, you know, it's it, it was sort of interesting how that how that happened and. Um, you know, and a lot of this film is about identity too. It's, it's yeah. sort of about trying to be part of a tribe. You know, he's in Australia, that surfing tribe is pretty big. And, and you know, if, if you're a young man, um, sport, surfing, drinking is the tribes that you kind of want to be part of. And if you're not accepted into any of them, you, you, you're feeling pretty isolated pretty quickly. Um, so it was sort of that, that, that sort of aspect of really reaching and trying to be part of something um, here is, 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 you know, is really important, especially for young men. I, I almost feel weird saying it, but what I found in some ways most devastating was the fact that as he's obviously decided what he's going to do, when she comes to visit him, he cleans that house. And from seeing it from what it was to seeing what he was able to do with it, it's like he had that potential. He was able to do something normal and, you know, just be like what people would consider just a normal person. And then just, you know, because he knows he's going to throw it away in essence. It's just so it's that's that's really tough to take. Yeah, he, he, he cleans it for his mother. You know, he, he, he kind of in that sort of final moment sort of becomes the thing that she's strangely proud of when yeah. she comes and visits him you know that's the sort of irony of it well uh not to draw away from the serious matter of the film but we here on overdue rentals do also like to throw the light on films we think deserve more love and comparatively lighter but not by much uh, we wanted to talk about your 2015 Macbeth, which oh how gorgeous it is Oh, I just, I, between this and the true history of the Kelly gang, I have just really glommed onto your visual style. And I just wanted to sort of walk back and ask how you were approached with even doing Macbeth, because uh, if I'm not mistaken, this was your first full length, your first full, full feature that you had done as a director. Uh, no, I've done a, I've done a film called Snowtown, um, which is quite similar to, to Knit Ram that was sort of based on a true crime in Australia. Um, and then I moved to London, um, uh, to do a Le Carre film called Our Kind of Trader, um, which, which just took so long to sort of develop and, uh, out of the blue, I'd met Michael Fassbender and I'd met Ian Canning and, and, and the Seesaw gang and, um, they said, we've got this script of Macbeth and we want Michael to do it. And, and it's just one of those things where all the stars sort of aligned. I'd never thought about doing Macbeth before. Um, I'd, I'd been a theatre designer, so I knew the, the, the play really well. And my wife had played Lady Macbeth. Um, but I, don't know, I took this trip to Scotland and Sky and I suddenly went, oh, God, this is a Western. Like, this is, mm. this is absolutely a, a Western. And, and actually all the verse that is being said, you can see in the landscape. And I thought, wow, what an amazing thing to kind of recreate a sort of Western landscape in Sky, Scotland, um, to be able to, you know, visually realise the, the verse. Um, and then there was a really interesting take in Macbeth of, the, of, of grief, of, the, of 
like what was brought to the fore a little bit more was the um, idea that they had lost a child and and that perhaps ambition, especially for Lady Macbeth, had um, was 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 there to replace the grief, you know. And I found that very interesting and very moving, and 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 actually through acquaintances who you know lost lost you know a, a, a child, their careers they put everything into their careers and 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 their business just sort of boomed afterwards after it and i was fascinated by that you know of 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 ambition and grief and how those sort of overlapped um yeah and then and then sort of went off and and and, and made it and um you know kind of joined the queue with all the other interesting <laughs> interpretations of macbeth that are still going yeah well i mean was it that, did it was it feeling was there a feeling of kind of being like doting in a way to bring it to that that scale because there's been Shakespeare that's done on a large scale but Macbeth technically never really had that grand scope to it up until now up until when you did it so was it kind of having to like decide how big can I make it or like do I need to scale it down a little bit maybe because that's what people expect uh, I think it was the aspect of the war and being a returned soldier and I think there was this sort of post-trauma element to it that uh, you know, if, if you could bring that to screen, uh, that, 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 that point of view and that aspect of, yeah, your Macbeth is actually a soldier who's come back from battle and has been battling for many years and has lost a child, you know, his head's going to be pretty fucked up. And, and, you know, that and the landscape and kind of what that was. And I, and I just sort of felt as though the landscape, cinematically, the landscape could sort of do so much. I was I was interested in the verse, but I didn't feel as though it was the driving thing in the in 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 the film, which is probably what you know probably the most criticism I, I got was because of that that I wasn't you know that the there's a bit of style in which the actors were saying the verse that that was that was tricky you know but but I was really determined that it should be led cinematically and that and that it should the landscape should be the thing that pulls you in and. And that the verse should just be sort of something that floats in and out of that sort of that sort of storytelling. So, um, yeah, I'm really proud of it. It's it's um, and uh, you know it it, it it was sort of the start of a really great relationship with Michael and Marion. And well, yeah, I mean, you just have this amazing murderer's row of talent where it's like you've got David Thewlis, Sean Harris, Elizabeth Debicki, just this wonderful, wonderful roster that, oh, I'm sorry, Matthew. You, Pat, you, you remember some Patty Constantine, Jack Rayner. I mean, there's like a whole, there's a whole ridiculous that. list of people that you had. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was great. <laughs> David, Heyman. David Heyman, I almost forgot David Heyman. Yeah, and you know, and, 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 and even behind the camera, like Adam Arkapur, you just come off True Detective and um, uh, Jenny Sherko, who, you know, won an Oscar for Elizabeth and Jacqueline Duran, who won an Oscar. Like, I, you know, I was, I was, I was extremely, extremely lucky. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it is, it is about really lining up some great people, you know, and, 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 and it was one of those projects that seemed to be a bit of a beacon, like really great people were attracted to it and interested in it. So, you know, I, I was very aware as I was sort of making it that this was, um, you know, this was sort of something special in terms of the sort of quality of talent that was involved. Well, I like to think it's it's always almost half of what gets you in the door is, oh, it's Shakespeare. Okay, so what are they going to do with, with it this time? And to your point about letting the, the, the landscape sort of speak as a sort of a character itself, this has to be one of the most open 
interpretations of Macbeth or even just of Shakespeare in general. And I was, uh, that's what I found was part of how much it moved me is because it's, it's just this lush, beautiful thing where you're watching it unfold. And yes, the prose says a lot and everybody knows, you know, tomorrow and tomorrow, and tomorrow and out damn spot. Everybody knows the words. So it's how you marry them to what you look at that really sort of draws people in. I mean, looking at the tragedy of Macbeth with, uh, with Denzel Washington, that's sort of a, a German expressionist version. Whereas mm. said, this is a Western. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, I wanted to make a film that you could <gasps> smell the witches, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, and um, I know, I just believe that the witches came out of this sort of, I mean, li literally Sky was, I mean, there are bogs, there are sinkholes in, 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 in Sky that we lost Marion one day. She was sort of walking across the landscape and then she just disappeared and she sort of disappeared into a sort of sinkhole in the ground. I mean, it's that sort of, it's, it's that sort of ancient sort of land. So it just made complete sense that you'd sort of do Macbeth as a, as a, as a Western and that you'd embrace that sort of landscape and, you know, and Australia is, I'm, very, I'm really fortunate in that, you know, when I went to Sky, it reminded me of Australia. It reminded me of Tasmania, also where I am now. That in, And we, Australians have always had a very particular relationship with landscape. And um, and I think it's why there's so many great cinematographers that, that, that sort of come out of here. Um, so, yeah, the, the, first and foremost, it was about, it was about the land. It was about the world and the atmosphere and 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 you know much more than than, than the verse and um and i think that's why it offers up something different you know than than, than other macbeths and it, and it should because just like you're going back about talking about the the people who may have been upset the one few people were upset because about the prose you know look i'm i'm guilty of it i'm sure we're all guilty of it at one point or another saying to ourselves like oh they i wanted them to do this they didn't do it or it has to be this and it wasn't this but if you're not going to do something different, what's the point? But it was also the prose to me were, I mean, when I go and watch Shakespeare, I listen to the verse like I listen to a song in that, in that I'm not sitting there kind of ticking off every word when I'm listening to a, when I'm listening to a, a great song, you know, if I'm listening to a, you know, a, a Lou Reed song, I'm not sort of sitting there kind of, you know, every word has to kind of come into my head and I have to make sort of sense of it. And I always appreciated the verse like that that you know so much of it especially if you're bringing it on on screen so much of it is about you know the the, the verse being something that at times you can understand and at times it, it awakens thoughts and ideas and images that you never thought you would imagine um, as opposed to it being this sort of I've got to grab every word and understand every word I mean I, you know this is just not the way you experiencing experience sort of cinema um, you're not sitting there with the verse in class kind of underlying every word and going to the back of the book and seeing what it means. So I've, I've always seen, you know, my appreciation of the verse has, has, has always been like appreciating great, great, great songwriting. And I think I learned, I learned that myself the hard way when I was in high school, they were teaching us Hamlet. And I thought, oh, this is a great time to watch Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. It's right there. I'm going to go through the, I'm going to go through it with the text and see how, how close it is. And then knowing how close it was, I eventually was just able to leave the book to the side and just dive into it. And again, yeah. 
it's those visuals. It's that lushness. It's the be, it's it being able to suggest the content without having to translate it or have it in front of you. That yeah. really separates a great Shakespeare adaptation from something that's just, oh, so they just had everybody read it and, you know, it's, yeah. it's okay. Sometimes it just sounds really cool. <laughs> you know, sometimes <laughs> the words, sometimes the words just sound fucking great you know, and, and, and the poetry of them just sound great together. And it is like listening to great hip hop. Like I, 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 I'd always find that you'd be out in the middle of the field and you'd be doing some verse and Michael would be kind of doing it. And, you know, there'd be a huge part of it that felt very sing song. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sitting there going, I'm not understanding it. I mean, the, the storytelling, the storytelling in Shakespeare, especially Macbeth, which is only a two act play is, is actually unbelievably simple, you know, it's 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 characters talking over and over again about plot point or about actually what's going on in their head. Um, so you know it, it's okay if you miss stuff, and I think that's the big. It's, it's interesting because my my kids are just about to study Macbeth. They're fifteen and they're about to study, and 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 at their school they put my film on, and um, you know and and I can I can feel there's this sort of trepidation in them about sort of Shakespeare and and. And, and it's going to be heavy and it's going to be, and it's not, I say to them, you know, just relax on it and, and, you know, you get what you get out of it and, and you'll see many productions of Macbeth in your life and you, you'll, you'll get more and more out of it, but you don't need to get everything, you know, it, it is about feeling it and listening to it and, and, and sort of imagining it. And then someday they'll realize that some random movie they saw that they had no idea was, in, you know, inspired by Shakespeare was, oh, it's just a modern retelling of Macbeth because, I mean, look, I mean, we all talk about it all the time, you know. Shakespeare, if he was alive today, would probably be writing soap operas it's just yeah. because it's just the way it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or he'd been in, be in a really cool band. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, he'd be, you know. Um, yeah, so I, I think, um, who knows? Roding he would have taken over as Peter Sinfield for King Crimson's lyricist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just think you know the i mean if they record it or if you through some reason go to new york in the near future they'll be able to see daniel craig play Macbeth. <laughs> yeah yeah well i was just I was, I was i was just in new york and uh and um i, I, I walked past the theater there and, and um yeah saw it again so you know it's 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 actually the most uh produced of his plays it's it's quite extraordinary how many players a year, um, you know, go on. Yeah, no, I mean, that's again, that's just goes back to the fact that yeah, everybody's always going to put on Shakespeare, whether it's a new a new production, uh, a new a new styling in the film, a new TV show based on you know some thought he had. You know, I, I still go and talk to people who don't understand that you know, like ten things I hate about you is turning of the shrew and this that and the other thing there's there's so many there's so many possibilities that come out of it that there's going to be something for everybody at one point or another absolutely yeah absolutely now i'm very curious because uh looking at your filmography very quickly after macbeth uh we see you reteaming with michael fassbender and marion colliard for uh assassin's creed and i was curious mm. as to what it was about your adaptation of macbeth that got you in the door for Assassin's Creed, or may, maybe even wanted, uh, made you want to do Assassin's Creed. Uh, it was Michael. Uh, he was he was working on it at the time, and 
um, and and shared it with me. And and I didn't know much about the game, but I was really, uh, yeah, I was really sort of taken by the, the 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 concept and the idea of 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 memories and this sort of machine that 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 allows you to kind of journey back into the memories of your ancestors and stuff. So there seemed to be a, a lot more behind it than 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 you know normal you know, normal um, ideas for games. Did you happen to get to see any of the details for the the cancelled sequel? Or was that sort of a, something that they just said, oh, we're going to make a sequel and they didn't really have anything on deck yet? We never, we never really, they never really talked about uh, doing a sequel. It was really about kind of just doing the, the, the first one. So we, we never, we never really sort of sat down and sort of talked about so I don't think there was a sequel there to be cancelled. I think it was always about, um, you know, doing this one and and um, yeah, you know, and and you know, look, I don't I don't think the film, you know, succeeded in what it set out to do. So I can understand why there's not a second one. Um, but you know, it, it was it was complicated. It was a really tricky concept to bring to screen and you know, and, and went through many, many scripts and, and probably ultimately in the end, probably the thing that let it down a bit was it's, it, it never sort of had the right script, <laughs> you know, never had the right sort of story. It was, it, it was trying to probably fit in too much. I, I don't mean to change gears completely because I know we have to let you go soon because I just remembered something that I wanted to very intently ask you about Nitrum um, because I think for, you know, Unfortunate as it is, I think Americans think they have like a monopoly on tragedy in some way. And when we do have something happen, all the news plays is the news of the Australian buyback program. And the little blurb you give out at the end of the film does not fit with what news wants to tell us. And I'm wondering how much of what really goes on is just being blocked from the rest of the world knowing about it. Well, I was staggered by it because because I always hear that as well, you know, and, and especially in the states that everyone uses the 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 Port Arthur buyback scheme and and the gun reform as an as an as an example of you know uh, six, a successful successful reforms and 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 a way in which to respond and react to to, to such a sort of tragedy, and in and in most part it is the right way. I mean, it's been enormously successful. And, and you know, I have to say it's still one of the proudest days I have being an Australian is the way the government at the time and the way just Australians just changed their attitude towards guns. And having said that, I was unbelievably shocked and surprised when we really kind of tapped into it that some of those reforms have not been implemented 25 years later that there are gun lobbyists that are really trying to soften those laws now. And, and, and yeah, there are more guns here than there were in 1996. So, um, you know, it, it, it was actually a surprising detail for Australians to know, you know, that, that um, what they think is absolutely rock solid, you know, is, isn't. Um, so, you know, in America, it's a very different story you know I, I, I think that uh, you know we were shooting in November and I think the third day of, of, of filming the the mass shootings in America passed 480 for the year so you know it's more than one a day 
So it, it, there's something overwhelming about that. And, uh, and I think that the, the I know having just been in America and, and, and had a couple of screenings, it, it's a tough conversation to have. And I can feel um, a fatigue and I can feel a sense of overwhelmingness about it. I can feel a sense of tragedy in the fact that it's so every day uh, there. Um, I think there's real questions about, you know, what gun culture is in America and, 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 and how it is embodied in identity in America. It's, 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 it's a very, very complex thing. Um, fortunately in Australia, that, that event changed everything um, and, and, the, and the ripples of it still uh, are, are felt today. Well, thank you again for joining us and talking about all these films with us and uh, hope you have a great rest of the day. Okay, thank you guys, cheers. Stay safe. Justin Kurzel, ladies and gentlemen, another class act in the Overdue Rentals shop. And yeah, I think we, I, you know what? This is another one of those conversations where I really think we we talked ourselves, we got to talk ourselves out with this one. Yeah, I mean, it's, there are so many things that whether or not, and let's talk about Nitrum in general before anything else, with, with, you know, no matter what kind of knowledge you have, there's so much to kind of discuss and it's just beyond the film because it, brings in a whole slew of socio-political aspects to talk about. So there's kind of a lot to get to. And um, it's, 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 it's nice to be able to, even though it's such a heavy subject, to be able to talk it out with somebody. Oh, yeah. Especially because, again, that, that probably has one of the most chilling post-credit sort of factoids, title cards, whatever you want to call it, that has one of like the most chilling endings yeah. when it comes to that sort of thing. And like Justin said, you know, people, people love to cite oh, there was action taken and all was good. But then it's like, no, you didn't really follow the story to its conclusion where, surprise. <laughs> it, it should also be noted, we didn't mention during the interview, but it should also be noted for those uh, who are just interested. Uh, Caleb Landry Jones actually won the Best Actor Award at Khan for this. No, but he, yeah, I mean, this is something, yeah. you know, like that's something where, unless you're the Palm d'Or winner and sometimes even then people don't recognize it and not saying it means anything that, you know, because people win these awards all the time. And then later on, when the other awards come along, they don't get nominated and so on and so forth. But it, it's, yeah. it's an interesting thing, again, because just like you were saying, not that you have to be Australian to be in an Australian film, but since it is so heavily rooted in the country uh, and specifically Tasmania, and you have all these other actors who are, like I said as well, you know, extremely well-known actors that a lot of people don't probably know are Australian, to have him leading your film also and have him win the award for that, I think is pretty, uh, is pretty serious. Oh yeah, especially Anthony Napalia, because I remember in interviews he talked about how I think he trained himself so hard to lose the accent that by the time he went back, he had to like rediscover it because he he lost it. It was kind of like a John Mahoney situation where, yeah, yeah. you know, he he came from England and just wanted to break himself of the the accent. And then, you know, by the time Marty Crane came along, the the old accent was mostly gone. But I really yeah. think, I think Anthony Napaglia should also I thought his performance was heartbreakingly amazing as well well yeah i mean see the thing is everybody is heartbreaking in this and judy davis as well just the fact that a i guess a, a lesser version of the it's always like a crutch of mine like a lesser version of the story because you can always like have that in your mind like the lesser version the, i guess the more provocative biopic mm. would have loved to just dug into oh it was clearly a nature versus nurture scenario and nurture didn't it was the thing that didn't suit him well but there's no 
aspersions cast on anyone. And it's really just, you can kind of see where things are going and how they got there, but it doesn't really damn anyone. Like it, it, the most, the most damned person obviously is Nitrum himself, but that's sort of even left to an interpretation of, well, he was left to his own devices and that should have never happened. You know, it's all, and I'm not trying to to harp on the performances as well, or just the performance compared to what, because we talked about so much about the film while we're talking to Justin. Well, but yeah, but it's a fantastic performance film. But yeah, it should also be mentioned that Essie Davis, who worldwide audiences may remember only because of the Babadook, not only is she an amazing actress, but she also is Justin's wife as well. So um, when, he mentions, when he mentions my wife did this in the interview, he's talking about Essie Davis. <laughs> yeah, no, she was phenomenal. And just... Yeah, uh, I kind of want to get Justin back at some point because True History of the Kelly Gang. It was interesting because he did True History of the Kelly Gang before this, and then did Nitrum, if I remember correctly. Well, but he also had, he also had the Snowtown Murders. But that was well, his first. Was, that was his yeah, first I was gonna say that was before. Yeah, because then he did Macbeth and then Assassin's Creed. Yeah, and then after that, it seems like he kind of just didn't return to. I wanted to ask him if he would ever go back to big budget films, but something tells me he wouldn't especially because he's just, I'm, I'm not assuming for him, but I'm, I would, I would think that he wouldn't because he's just having so much creative freedom with these movies like this and true history of the Kelly gang. He's diving into Australian history and folklore because the true history of the Kelly gang was, you know, a fictionalized account and it's very fantastical, especially with his visuals. Like that's just, that is something that I would have expected from the man who made that Macbeth just because they're very, they're, they're siblings on a visual level. Mm. And Nitrum is very restrained and decide, and deservedly so. Well, that's the thing about, you know, since we would maybe have him back, not we would, I mean, we would definitely. But oh, we definitely would if he wants to, Justin, if you want to come back, there is always a spot. And we could talk about that then because, you know, for this, you know, of course, Macbeth, just like we said, you know, the thing about this version of it compared, because there are other Shakespeare's, uh, adaptations that have been kind of grander in scale than other film versions have, but the scale of this one compared to what people are used to, especially for Macbeth, because Macbeth's one that even when they were doing them on, you know, not necessarily stage versions uh, when you film them, you know, it always came to like, how do we make the forest move and all this other stuff, you know, and so it was more, everybody tried to do it more stage-like, where this is a much broader, grander view of, of, of what people are used, compared to what people are used to. Yeah, it is definitely like one of the most cinematically sweeping Macbeths. And even though I haven't seen it, that's not to say Tragedy Macbeth is oh, you still any lesser. I still, I, I, yeah, I have a lot of stuff to catch up on, especially <laughs> because I have to keep watching the overdue rentals movies because if yes. I don't watch them, the shows are going to suck. I don't want to just sit here and, and be like the hype man. It's like, yeah, yeah, that movie was exciting. Yeah, I, I, I can't really put my finger on it, but that was great. But, no, I, yeah, I will say go see that though too. But oh, obviously. But beyond that, it, I'm sorry, you were saying before I cut you off by your... shock of. <laughs> Actually, I would really like to ask you: What was your first Macbeth that you can remember? Like, what was your first adaptation that you were welcomed into the fold with? And so you're just talking about a film adaptation, not because like reading it in high school or seeing plays. Yeah. I don't know if I can remember to be honest with you. I really don't remember if I can. I'd if have I'm to not mistaken, my first film adaptation, and it might have been just my first experiencing the first dramatized version of this in general was Roman Polanski's Macbeth. Mm. 
like they were actually I, through some like permission slip or something they were allowed to show us that movie in junior year uh English class. Although I do remember like our teacher was like, you know, there were certain instances of nudity where it's like, no, 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 don't look at the nudie boy, where it's like, I think it's the, the slaying of, uh, I'm trying to think of, like when the, uh, I'm, I don't know where the details have gone in my head, but there was just some instances of nudity where it's like, clearly, okay. It's like they showed us Franco Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet in freshman yeah, year. That one like, we all saw, yeah. Yeah, it's like, okay, you got to ignore the ass here, but Michael York is Tibble. I don't, I'm trying to think of which version I may have seen. I, I can't tell you. I honestly can't tell you. And of course, it was, this was all thanks to the Howell High School uh, English Department in the Freehold High School School District in beautiful, sunny New Jersey. They also introduced me to, well, no, I introduced myself to Branagh's Hamlet, but it was through the library there. So, yes. Well, this is a discussion that we will definitely eventually have. And I think we've had partly on uh, Overdue Rentals because I, I, you know, when I was going to school, uh, Branagh's Hamlet really wasn't out yet. So ours was the Mel Gibson version that they always wanted. Oh, show. yeah. Instead of going yeah. all the way back to, to a, a, probably a much better version because they wanted to draw the kids in. So they yeah. the Mel Gibson version. Uh, Shorter, more fantastical. I think Zeffirelli was behind that too. And it was sort yeah, of more, yeah. I think it was, it, it was, it pulled more in the Oedipal direction. And a lot of people kind of criticize yes, it for that. But... There's that one scene, a very specific scene in the, yeah. I have not seen it, but I would be interested to watch it as a contrast yeah, because yeah. Branagh's Hamlet is just so fucking rich. Oh my God. Like re-release the damn thing on Blu-ray already. Give us a 4K. There's, he probably has a 70 millimeter print sitting around just needing love, needing to be shown. But until that time comes, everybody should go and cross off Justin Kurzel's 2015 version of Macbeth off their overdue rentals list. And of course, go see Nitrum when it comes out on March 30th, which you're probably listening to it as it's already out. Mike? We're very timely like that. Mike, where can people find us? Ah, should you want to find us? And you don't want the forest of Dunsinane to, to move forth on you. And uh, you're waiting for a podcast, not of woman born, and we're sorry, but you know, we're always welcome to female guests and potential co-hosts because we do like to diversify things around here and shake things up have new voices, which is why we like you, our loyal fans, to seek us out on platforms like TikTok and Instagram at Overdue Rental Show, on Twitter at Rentals Overdue, on Facebook at Overdue Rentals. And if you want to send us emails, love letters, movie suggestions, cryptic prophecies about becoming king and quickly get losing our heads, email us at OverdueRentals at gmail.com. Just be prepared for Matthew to explain to you why Tragedy of Macbeth was tragically overlooked, especially in the category of Best Supporting Actress. God damn it. But while he's going to stew on that a little while, I'm also going to remind you all that you should find us wherever you ethically source your podcasts. I'm talking about Apple Podcasts and the Anchors and the Spotify's and the, the Johnny Two Hats. That, the that's, Breakers. Yeah, just wherever you grab your podcasts, chances are, like Tom Jode, we'll be there. But while you are grabbing our podcast and respectfully so please rate review and subscribe because you're not going to want to miss anything and you're going to want to keep this rental counter open because if i could tell you some of the episodes that we've got in the can and some of the stuff that we're trying to get in the can then you know a i'd be spoiling things for you but b you'd be excited as you should be so get excited 
and come back to us next time on Overdue Rentals. Matthew? Bye-bye. Bye-bye.